in positioning this city and letting people know we're open for business. Uh, it's not just a good old boy city anymore. We want to work with uh, global entities at all levels, and we want to work with our existing entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them grow and scale as well. Welcome in, kids. So another week of your favorite Alabama political podcast, uh, Alabama Politics This Week. I am Josh Moon, and that is... I'm David Person, and I'm pissed. <laughs> but, I know, but I know we're about sorry. to handle this session. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. I pissed David off right before we came on. I mean, it wasn't anything that I did. It was just a story that I told right, you about. Right, right. But well, I know so. we're about to handle it. Yeah, we're we're going to handle it. We're and, then handle I know, it. and then I know after we handle it on the podcast, you are going to kick somebody's behind in a column. So I'm really excited about that. But this is... Th- anyway. I know. I know. Anyway, I know. Let's, yeah, let's just move forward because I'm getting, okay. I'm getting riled up here. I mean, we're, we're, listen, we've, we've never done this before, um, but if you would like, if you would like, there's no rule. We, we make our own rules here. So we could start with our right wing nut of the week um, and and go. I mean, we are, we're first we're back from vacation. We're hyped up, yeah. ready to go. We yeah. can do this however we want to. Um, we can start with our right wing nut of the week and and we can just get this anger right out uh, in the open to, to start with uh, because that's what that's what got David all riled up was I we were we were talking through the show and talking through you know who was going to be our right wing nut of the week this week and we always have several candidates uh, and the candidate that I tossed out was the entire city hall of Valley Alabama um, and uh, this the story that has angered him and angered me uh, and angered a lot of people uh according to the to the backlash on social media that is out there now um is this story of let me let me pull her name up so i, I get her name uh right on this um her name is Martha Louise Minifield 82 of Valley she was arrested uh on the 27th what was the 27th that was earlier this week monday um uh, yeah i think so or is that yeah. sunday yeah actually you know what? i think that's sunday I think they arrested this poor lady on a they Sunday. They arrested her on a Sunday? Probably coming home from church in her little old car that she only drives at 35 miles per hour back and forth. Uh, they arrested uh, Martha Louise Menefield, 82 of Valley, for failure to pay her trash collection bill. Um, yeah, that's right. You heard me right. They, The Valley Police Department went out and arrested this lady. And they put out a press release about it. Uh, I, I assume maybe there was some outrage in the town uh, and that forced them to put this thing out where they uh, tried to justify doing this by noting that she had uh, had her service interrupted a few times previously uh, for not paying the trash bill and that uh, so uh, dating back several years before. I mean, she's 82. She's on fixed income, obviously. She's very she is poor. Uh, from what I could gather from reading stories about her and and looking into some information about this story, um, and so she couldn't pay her, she couldn't pay her trash bill, and and they arrested her for this. They on a uh, Sunday, the, on a Sunday, on a Sunday, they picked this poor lady up. You know, like I said, probably probably in Bible study. Uh, you know, listen, we're gonna make this as bad as possible for the Valley folks for doing this dumb shit because they yeah. they arrested an eighty two year old lady for not paying a trash bill to a private company. 
This is a private company that they uh, they contract with in the city who were, were trying to collect a trash service fee, which I'm sure is outrageous because that's how it rolls in a lot of these little places that don't have the trash service and they contract with somebody and it works out where it's, hey, it's a pretty good deal for the first year and then every year after that it just keeps increasing until it's a, an absurd amount of money. And um, But regardless, whatever whatever the bill was, it's illegal to arrest somebody for their inability to pay fines, okay? It's it's illegal to do that. And the court that issued that, first of all, the city overall that allows this to take place, because I know she could not be the only person in all of Valley uh, to have uh, ever experienced this nonsense where they were arrested for failing to pay a fine. So I'm sure this is something that occurs fairly regularly uh, in that town. So for the people that, that allow that to continue, to the judge who issued a bench warrant for her uh, because apparently they could not get in contact with her or maybe she just didn't understand what was going on with all of this and she didn't show up for a court date that they set arbitrarily uh, for her uh, for failing to pay this crime because, you know, why else would you go to court except for not paying for your damn trash service pickup? You know, why? of course you're going to go to court. Who does that? And then on top of that, then the police that went out and arrested this lady on a Sunday and then tried to justify this shit through a long press release on social media where they talked about all the time she had failed to pay this in the past, which only, uh, I'll tell you this, the thing that makes me so happy is that it backfired on their asses and them doing this made it yeah. made them look even worse as though they were trying to shame this poor lady uh in uh you know during this press release it's nonsense what are yeah. we doing yeah yeah and it's 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 just a, to me it's a it's another example of um bureaucratic systems uh penalizing people for being poor and in this case I would assume, based on the information that they put out, assuming it's all correct, it's pretty obvious that if a person can't pay a trash bill, they are probably struggling financially in other areas yeah. of their life. And not only that, but we're talking about somebody who is probably living on Social Security income yep. or something like and on Medicaid and something like that would be my assumption. Mm -hmm. She's 82 years old. Um, you know, my God, this is a horrible thing. You can't tell me. And then, you know, I've never heard of Valley. I don't know if you right. have. I've never yeah. heard of Valley. I've so, been there a few times. So, Oh, have you? Uh, okay. it's, it's up It's up around Auburn uh, oh, in that it? area over there. So, yeah, I used to I used to work for a place in Auburn and I had to I had to do uh, delivery work and uh, take products over into into Valley to, to I can't remember what the business was over there. But anyway, I had to go over there. So I know Valley. All right, so is it is this a uh, is this a thriving metropolis? No. <laughs> okay, so this is a this is not a a community that is teeming with thousands of people and a robust economy. It's a small little community, right? It is indeed. Yes, it is. It's uh, probably the kind of it's probably almost like a Mayberry, right? Where you would assume. Uh, let me let me see if I can pull up here. Um, and the as of the 2010 census, which is obviously several years old, we don't have I don't have the results, uh, or at least Wikipedia doesn't. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, we do we do have that. Uh, they got 10,500 people in Valley, Alabama. Okay, well, 
you know, there are churches that are bigger than that. But anyway, mm-hmm. sure, let's just are. say, let's just say, let's just say that's a that's that's a a, a, a probably the size community, mm-hmm. uh, a community of that size. Probably most people probably know most of the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't tell me that there wasn't some more benevolent kind of way that this could have been addressed. For an 82-year-old woman, we're not talking about somebody that's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, maybe even 60s, that probably has a, a more robust income and probably has more of an ability to address a problem like that, to even process it. I mean, I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When my mother was 82, she was probably beginning to be in a position where <clears throat> if something like that had been left, if, if a notice to pay her trash or a citation or a warning or whatever had been left on her front door, mm-hmm. my mother probably would not have been able to have handled that at 82. She probably would have called me. Right. Or she would have saved it for me to look at. Mm-hmm. It, it is not out of the realm of possibility at all that this poor woman is completely incapable, whether it's due to, you know, mental acuity or whether it's due to fear, or discomfort, whatever, to handle this mm-hmm. on her own. This is an outrage, Josh. It's outrageous that she should be arrested. That she should be arrested for something like this. Oh, it's 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 um, it's shameful. It's shameful on on a number of different levels. First of all, that she was arrested for this. Second of all that there is even the ability for the police or a judge in that town to arrest someone for something along these lines, uh, to, to continue this process. Which I, I believe, I believe there will be, there would be attorneys here who would back me up and say that that is illegal uh, to do so. Um, and then in addition to that, to then go on social media and post her payment history, essentially from, the the private trash collection service that you've contracted with over the from the last several years in an attempt to justify this but and and paint her as some sort of a deadbeat stealing trash service you know for god's sakes um you know and let me ask you this is she required to have trash service is that a requirement now in life that you, you're supposed to have trash service everywhere? I mean, yeah, I, I don't point. I don't believe you're required to do that. So, I mean, why isn't it like, I mean, what's going to happen now? Could, could they arrest me for not paying my my Internet bill? You know, could AT&T right. contract with them and, and say, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we provided you broadband service and now you didn't pay the bill. And so we're going to issue a bench warrant and arrest you. Is that right. You know right. what I mean? And, yeah, and 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 is it? It certainly isn't ethical, but is it legal for 
her private payment history mm-hmm. to be released to the public. I, I don't think so. And, 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 you know, the other thing is, all right, so here, here's, the, here's the thing that gets me. All right, so let's say you don't pay a typical bill, hospital bill. Well, a lot of people have hospital bills, and, and you don't pay that hospital bill, even if it's a public hospital, even if it's a UAB-affiliated uh, hospital, and, and so it's a you know, public taxpayer-funded hospital. Um, they send you a bill, and you don't pay it. Well, it'll e- either one of two things will happen. Uh, they'll well, usually both things happen. They send it to a collection agency, and the, the collection agency will attempt to uh, recoup this. So they sell it off to them, right. or or they will go to uh, go to court and sue you for the balance of this. And in which case, a uh, sheriff's deputy comes to your house and drops off paperwork, telling you that you know you this lawsuit has been filed against you and issuing you this uh, summons to court. And you are to appear on such and such day unless you work out whatever with the hospital and the thing gets dismissed. All right. I mean, I, I've, I've done this with numerous people that I've, I've covered in the in the past and, mm-hmm. and talked to about hospital bills and things. If you don't show, you don't get arrested. Right. You, you just lose. You lose. You court. lose the case. Right. You lose the case. And the judge issues a, a verdict against you for this. And at that point, they can legally have your wages garnished in, in a matter, so, so they can recoup the money that they believe that they are owed. And you work out a, a garnishment uh, situation with the court and a payment plan with the court to, to pay this back. So you don't get arrested. Right. So why is this different? Simply because they have a contract with the city? This is why it's different? Yeah, and, it, and, it, and, it, and if, that's the, if that's the legal logic, then... <clears throat> Again, something needs to change because there's no way that that makes any sense from a justice standpoint. And yeah. any law, and I'm sorry, I know that <clears throat> I know that justice is supposed to be blind, even though we know justice, in fact, <clears throat> yeah. in this country has never been blind. No. But if there was ever a reason for the for the blindfold to come down mm. off of the eyes of Lady Justice, it should be with our seniors. Yeah, the most vulnerable people in our society, mm-hmm. our seniors, our children, people with disabilities, the most vulnerable people. We ought to be taking extra care for. We ought to be. We ought to be. Uh, giving them every presumption yeah. of innocence, every benefit of the doubt that we can. Yep. It's, it's just entire. I, I don't know how. And the, and the police chief who issued this statement must have been really riddled with guilt and shame. Yeah. <clears throat> because oh. I don't know how you could, in good conscience, send officers to arrest an 82-year-old woman. Yeah. Uh, Mike Reynolds is the police chief. Mike Mike Reynolds is the guy that's the police chief, and he's the one who issued the statement. And, um, and, you know, his his excuse is, with all good, uh, you know, politicians or, you know, bureaucrats, is we had no choice. This was our, this was the law. This was the thing we had to follow. This was what we had to do. And, um, but, 
you know, you're right in that uh, we know that justice is not blind uh, here, but we also do know that justice has turned a blind eye a lot of times um, uh, to a lot of people that didn't deserve it. And, uh, you know, it's it's a shame. Uh, It's shameful. uh, And it's a shame that that they have done this to this poor lady. And uh, I'm, I'm sure by now that there is a GoFundMe out there for her. Um, and that, um, and that the people are going to step forward and, and, and help her with this. I mean, you know, uh, it's God, I mean, what, hey, what are you what, if you were the police chief uh-huh. in this situation, what would you have done? Um, I would have, I would have paid that lady's trash bill. And, mm, I and love it, Josh. It. Uh, I love it. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I, 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 honestly, if I'd known about this prior to her being arrested, I would have just paid the latest trash bill. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, um, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand the heartlessness of the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this, this people being so beholden and maybe, you know, uh, I've, I've, people I've say, you know, you, you need, you need to get more money, you need to have more money. I'm like, well, listen, I, I make a lot of money. I just give most of it away. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know uh, sometimes to, uh, to 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 big stores and corporations, but listen, it's still giving it away uh, because I don't need a lot of the things. But it's a um, you know it, it just I don't understand this this people being so beholden to to money that you're willing to to so mistreat others, you know, and and to and to lose sight of what you're doing and. Uh, in life with people. And, you know, this is, I, I don't care what this, I don't care if this lady's got a gambling problem or uh, if, if she is, you know, she blew the money at, uh, you know, at bingo night or if, you know, she, whatever. I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. You're still arresting an 82 year old lady for not paying the trash bill. You know, That's I mean, right. think, just say it. This is what I tell people all the time. If you're struggling with whether or not you should do something, just imagine or even even go ahead and do it and say it out loud in front of people. Mm-hmm. Say what you're going to do out loud mm-hmm. in front of people. That'll solve it for you. All right. If you if you're if you're struggling with with not even being able to say it out loud in front of people, then you probably shouldn't do it. You know, yeah. and uh, just it just is is outrageous. And, you know, and honestly. It kind of ties into the story that we were going to open with. Okay, uh, but before we do that, well, let me just ahead, let me say something. Sure. <clears throat> Pardon me. If I were the police chief, here's mm-hmm. what I would have done. I mean, I think I think your solution is very generous and compassionate, and it's a great solution. Right. But I think it, it it my only quibble with it is it doesn't really challenge the system. Sure. Yeah. That level of benevolence, yeah. as generous as it is, doesn't challenge the system. So I think what I would have done is I would have called a press conference or I would have called all of the the media the you know, whatever mm-hmm. media they've they've got that covers Valley, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I would have said, <clears throat> we're about to do something that is reprehensible. Something that makes me more angry than I can express mm-hmm. and something that breaks my heart more than I can even express. But because of the system in this community, 
I'm legally bound to do this. So I want you to know what we're going to do and that I want you to accompany me as we do it. Mm. And I would have gone with the officers. I would have overseen the arrest. I would have made a statement, perhaps even at the woman's house. And I would have used whatever discretion I had to conduct that arrest as as compassionately as possible. Yeah. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have put her in handcuffs. Wouldn't have. Well, they did. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have done it. No, I know. I'm just saying, I just wanted to point that out to people that they put this poor 82 year old lady in handcuffs for not paying her damn trash bill. Yeah. And which is just, is, you know, it makes me even angrier to hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have, I would have been as generous and as compassionate to her as I could have been. No handcuffs, no back of a police vehicle. Uh, I would have treated her like a queen, taken her down to the station, done whatever uh, perfunctory things we had to do just to say we had complied with the bare minimum of the of the law. And then I'd have sent her home. I would have, you know, taken her back home and dared anybody to uh, challenge me for what I'd done. Yeah. I would have put that system on blast. Yeah, well, listen, I, mean, I think you took the uh, uh, kind of the uh, Dr. King approach, and um, I was taking more of the Andy Griffith approach, I guess. Um, no, man, so, look, both are, uh, both are valid. I think, I think yours was extremely compassionate, but mm-hmm. I just don't think it would have, you know. No, it wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have uh, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have changed anything. And I, I mean, honestly, uh, no matter what, there's no way in hell I would have arrested that lady. No, no, there's no chance. I, I don't care what anybody did. If they wanted to remove me from office, they could just remove me from office. But there ain't nobody. There's no way in hell I'd arrested that lady. Uh, and it, it's just you know it gets back into a uh, into a right and wrong thing and who the system is set up to protect mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and that's what I was going to say about the, you know, the little segue, uh, here into, into the story that we were going to talk about to begin with. And this based on the column that you wrote, um, about, uh, Para Hoopa, uh, and, and, uh, before we came on, we also, uh, taught David the correct pronunciation of, of, uh, Para Hoopa's name. So it's not Perry Hooper? <laughs> no, listen, listen, Dave. <laughs> You've got to understand that you're in a different, different atmosphere <laughs> when you get into the Montgomery Country Club set. And his name is Perry Hooper, okay? Perry Hooper. Perry Hooper. Hooper, yeah, Perry, Perry Hooper. And, and, and you've got to understand when you speak to people in, uh, with, with such class and dignity as Perry Hooper that uh. there is a certain <laughs> certain pronunciation that goes along and you've got to pay proper respects to those people. Hey, you know uh, you know I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I don't know anything about the southern uh, aristocracy. That explains it, David. <laughs> there comes your Yankee tongue to butcher our beautiful southern <laughs> language. Oh, David, David, David. You have got to get yourself an escalade. And drive around the South and pronunciate things. Oh, properly. did you say an escalade? An escalade, yes. An escalade. You mean like David. a Cadillac? A Cadillac escalade. Oh, I see. Okay. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Oh, it's not escalade, it's escalade. 
That's right. And we we come up with our own words like pronunciate. You know, oh. you've got to pronunciate. Got to pronunciate. Okay. Yeah. That's- yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean. All right, so for those of you who don't know, Perry Hooper is a former state rep. He is a um, uh, an orange-tinted gentleman uh, who resides in Montgomery, Alabama. His father, if I'm not mistaken, I believe his father was a former Supreme Court justice uh, for the state uh, Supreme Court. He and, was. Uh, he was. So he is a uh, old, uh, old Montgomery money kind of guy, uh, the country club set uh, there. Um, and he was arrested in August on felony sexual assault charges uh, for coming up behind a hostess at a popular Montgomery restaurant, grabbing her breast, uh, grabbing her around the waist, thrusting his pelvis into her and uh, kissing her on the neck before she could finally break herself free and run for safety away from that awfulness. Mm. And um, and so she filed charges against him and he Good was arrested. Uh, yep, there there is video of this incident out there. Mm. And um, uh, however, however, after being indicted by a grand jury uh, earlier this month, they seem to have reached some level of a settlement uh, with the lady who was uh, assaulted. And uh, it now they appears mean- as though... Perihopa and his and his attorney, uh, the esteemed Joe Espy, um, who, if you ever find yourself in trouble, he is expensive, but he is effective. Mm. Um, Joe's the best I've ever seen, um, mm. and it ain't close. Mm. And wow. um, yeah, by by a wide margin. Um, I, although I will say Bobby Siegel and some of those other guys are pretty good, but but Joe is. Whew, he is something. Um, anyways, the um, and, and I mean that complimentary. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Attorneys. yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, they, yeah, it seems as though they probably reached a settlement with her, uh, some sort of an agreement. She's asked formally asked the DA to drop the charges against uh, Perry Huppa, and um, and it seems as though they are probably going to end up having to do that. I spoke with uh, Assistant D or Chief Deputy DA. Um, in in Montgomery County, Azzy Taylor, and she said basically, without her going forward, there's just not much of a of a case there because even even though they have video of the incident, can't get the video into court without the the victim or somebody who's there to that you can lean on to put it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not much that they can do. Now the uh, the unidentified uh, victim. She made as part of her um, part of her statement that she released to the uh, public or to the yeah to the public. She said that um, the the only other thing that she really needs at this point, she didn't want to go through court and all that. Mm-hmm. So she said the only other thing she needs at this point is an apology, a public mm-hmm. apology, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I noticed in uh, and and I, I didn't when I wrote the column, I wasn't uh, aware of the fact that you had talked to the uh, the assistant uh, DA, uh, and that uh, and 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 that you also your reporting uncovered that uh, it did not seem likely that Perry Hooper. I'm sorry, Perry Hooper. Hoppa, 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 Hoppa was going to uh, 
I got to work on that. I just got to work on that. I need some more time. But that that Mr. Hava was going to uh, be issuing one. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I think I think it was interesting the way this whole thing played out in that even if she does not get an apology, not getting an apology, I think, may even be more of an indictment of him than if he were to apologize, which would be, of course, an admission of uh, an admission of wrongdoing. I also didn't know there was a video out. And so um, I don't know if that video. Oh, it's, not, it's not out. It's, it's not out. It's just uh, the police have it. They have it. OK, so we may never see it. It may never be out, even yeah. though. Now that we well, know I'd the love one to have exists. It. I'd love to have well, it. And I was going to say, um, an intrepid reporter such as yourself would probably be filing a Freedom of Information Act mm-hmm. request mm. to get a hold of that video, I would assume. Well, and, here's the problem. All uh, right. David, our problem with that is, is that we have an Alabama Supreme Court that is atrocious. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe even last year, they issued an opinion which essentially gutted the rights of pretty much every citizen, including reporters, uh, to see uh, police, our police at work uh, and the work of police. And now all they have to do to maintain the privacy of pretty much everything is to claim that it is an open and ongoing investigation. And when that is the case, you, they do not have to turn over anything to you. And so I can file everything I want to file unless somebody just wants to give it to me uh, through the DA's office. I'll never get it. So. I remember. Of course, in this case, they may want to do this. Uh, you know, I don't know. Mm. I remember when that law was um, was passed, but um, I mean, I think I think we in the press still. You know, especially those who are doing active reporting, such as yourself, mm-hmm. we still have an obligation, I think, to try to get that kind of information, at least make the effort. But uh, nonetheless, um, what do you see, you know, since you've done some additional reporting on this, what what do you see as the... Um, as the ultimate resolution of this thing, do you think it just sort of disappears, evaporates? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, they'll, they'll, uh, you know, she, I would guess, is once the once the check clears, um, and I'm there's no doubt in my mind that there's some monetary, uh, you know, yeah. things taking place uh, behind yeah. the scenes. Uh, and but uh, once that clears, um, I think that she'll she'll tell the DA's office of her intentions to uh, to drop. You know that she's not going to be part of this. Uh, that she doesn't want to. She's not going to testify, and will uh, refuse uh, them trying to trying to make her do so. Uh, and in that regard, I think that'll be the end of it, unless they can come up with another witness to the whole thing. Um, so I so, well, they have video though. So they do. Yes. If they have video, do they need? They don't need her, do they? 
Yeah, they've got to have her if they have video. Uh, they because you've got to be able to get the video in the court. Uh, you know, through the guidelines, the legal guidelines of, of of submitting evidence and things. You've got to you've got to be able to question somebody about the uh, about this video. You got to you you have to introduce you know something. Of, you know, you have to talk about what happened, and you've got to have somebody at least a witness to the actual incident to be there uh, to talk about it. So, but it doesn't uh, have to that's be the biggest problem. But it doesn't have to be her. No, it doesn't have to be heard necessarily. But they, they, so the problem is, from what I understand, is that they don't they do not know of anyone else who witnessed this uh, take place. And um, and the video that they have is security footage from the restaurant. I see. OK. Yeah. So. So that's the, the problem that they have. The two things that I assumed. When uh, when I was reading news reports about this. Mm-hmm. I assumed two things. I assumed one that uh Mr. Hooper Hopper 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 Mr. Hopper I I assume Mr. Hopper had probably had a little too much to drink. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know. But that's just my assumption, because I can't imagine, you know, we men are very, um, we can be horrible people, especially when it comes to the treatment of women and children. But mm-hmm. uh, but most of us have enough common sense to keep our, our nastiest, grossest thoughts and desires to ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, unless we've been drinking. And then all bets are off. So I assumed that alcohol was probably involved. The other thing that I assumed, like you, is I assumed Mm -hmm. that in her negotiations with Mr. Hopper involved, that, um, was that better? You're getting closer. You're getting closer. Was that there was probably a check involved. Those are my two assumptions. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's no I mean I there's yeah you know, now I will say the thing that I'm not clear on is this deal about a public apology because as of yet there has not been a public apology. Uh I've not seen this, there's not been one issued. I talked to Joe Espy uh after I got the statement from the uh from the victim, alleged victim, I will say. Uh and um Espy said that uh, for the time being that there would be nothing from uh from Perihuppa. Uh, coming out, and so uh, I don't I don't know when they're planning on this public apology, uh, or if they're planning on a public apology, or what. So uh, we'll see about that. Well, um, whether or not yeah. whether or not he apologizes publicly <clears throat> or not, I like what she's done. She's flexed. Mm-hmm. She has she has decided on a course of action that works for her. Hmm. And I'm happy for her because what happened to her, you know, what 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 Mr. Hoppe is publicly <laughs> accused of doing is absolutely gross and horrible. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a terrible terrible ordeal uh, for her, and um, I hope that uh, she gets paid and paid well. Um, Amen. and 
Um, and I hope that, uh, and, you know, it's my understanding uh, as well that this alleged victim is is not uh, somebody that can be pushed around necessarily, that uh, her family is also very well known uh, in Montgomery and uh, and not huh. financially uh, unwell. Uh, so huh. um, that uh, she is, uh, you know, she has the ability to 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 stand up for herself, obviously. And she also has some others who would, would have her back. And so, uh, and plus, you know, I don't know that in this day and age that the, the pair of of Montgomery are necessarily as prominent and well thought of as they once were. And, hmm. uh, you know, that whole country club set, uh, now, uh, almost have, they've almost become kind of a joke, um, to a hmm. lot of people and uh there and uh and, and rightfully so. Uh they you know that there there is a newer, younger uh Montgomery that's both white and black. And I think a, among even a lot of the younger white folks who are well off, the doctors and lawyers and people who are there, um, you know, I, I mentioned Joe Espy, his son, uh, Bill, uh, is one, uh, and, and some of the other doctors. And matter of fact, Perry Hooper's son, who is a doctor in Montgomery, hmm. I think uh, they they all are they're not they're not in the same set. Uh, as their parents were. They're not in the same mindset uh, that they were. They don't behave in the same way. Uh, they don't appreciate the uh, the backwards thinking a lot of times. Um, and I, I think that uh, these, the people and uh, that have, have really kind of dragged Montgomery down over the course of the last 10 to 20 years, mm. uh, I think they're on their way out the door uh, through, you know, just being shoved out or through death or whatever. Um, and I think that, that a lot of things have changed. Uh, but to, to kind of, you know, to kind of lighten this a bit right. and to also give you a better understanding of the people that you're, you're dealing with. Okay. Also part of this Montgomery country club set is an attorney named Tommy Gallion. Um, uh, and then there was another attorney named Tommy Mancuso who passed away a few months back. Um, and, uh, there was, and I, I couldn't believe you didn't know about this when I brought it up before the show, there was this very famous set of letters back and forth between Mancuso and Tommy Gallion when they got into uh, an argument slash fight at the buffet <laughs> or whatever it was, the luncheon at the Montgomery Country Club. And then they began trying to get each other kicked out of the Montgomery Country Club by writing <laughs> letters. Uh, and those letters, of course, became public. Mm. Um, and I want to read you just a portion of the one that Tommy Gallion wrote, okay? All right. Uh, and I'm going to cut out all of these other allegations that he makes about Tommy Mancuso trying to steal clients and rewriting wheels and, and stealing the veranda that they had to go <laughs> retrieve. and what? just no, it's, dude, it's, and I'll send you these letters, but uh, <coughs> just so we can have a, an understanding here. And I'm going to read it as though I were Perry Hooper. All right. <clears throat> I was having a peaceful lunch when Mancuso came in, walked by me, and gave his little superfluous grin. 
I did tell Mancuso that he better never send me a letter like the one he sent me again. Mancuso responded, don't you point your finger at me again. I stood up and pointed my finger at him only a few inches away from his face and said, don't mess with me again, you little chicken shit. He then responded, you better sit down. I responded, why don't you try to make me, you little chicken shit motherfucker? And he responded, why don't you call me on the phone? I responded, (laughs) I believe in facing someone face to face when they make false allegations against me. I did say, why don't we go outside and settle this matter face to face? I then sat down and he left. First of all, I never touched him because I knew better. Secondly, I realized that we needed to go outside and handle this and not in the men's grill. I don't recall saying I would whip his ass because if I wanted to, I could punch that little slob out with one punch. Again, I would never hit him because he would do anything to get back at me to use in court. I will gladly take a polygraph with Mancuso as to me touching him. How can Mancuso be allowed to be a member of this club when he has committed such immoral and and unethical acts to longtime members? Mancuso is the only person I've ever heard of who was allegedly blackballed at the Willow Point Country Club because of his reputation. My father joined Montgomery Country Club in 1949, and I have been a member from this time on. I apologize for my argument with him to the people sitting at the table, but not to Mancuso. By the way, his ex-in-law, Dickie Van, cannot stomach Mancuso for what he did to him and his family. You, If you wish to talk to him, be my guest. To have this lowlife write you a letter of this nature shows what kind of a little limacious coward he really is. I am so sorry Mancuso. Well, wait, it gets better. I am so sorry Mancuso is a diabetic and I suggest that he quit stuffing his fat little toady face and get in shape. (laughs) Mancuso being 70 means nothing to me. I'm 71 and have chosen not to deteriorate into an amoeba-shaped (laughs) squid. I'm going to tell you, amoeba-shaped squid is one of the funniest lines I have ever read in my that entire is life. Uh, 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 if needed, I will confront Mancuso in the presence of the board. I will personally hire a polygraph examiner to test both of us as to the truth and veracity. I never touched him. I learned a long time ago to never put one's hands in garbage. Oh, my. <laughs> so, that's, so that is the... Uh, that is the trash talk. That's the version of trash talking that the Montgomery Country Club set does. Oh man, let me tell you, I, I when I read this, because I know these two people, I know both mm-hmm. of them uh, very well. I, and and Tommy Gain has written some things about me, <laughs> so uh, and you can look them up. Uh, and I've written some things about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I had tears. Running down my face, laughing at this. It was, it oh, it was so glorious. And to be able to publish those things, oh my God, it was so great. Uh, but listen, you know, good times and they and they don't last. Uh, you know, so that's pretty. Funny. I guess we better slide out that's of here. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a good one. Uh, it was a good times. Uh, but anyway, thank uh, you for that. That's uh, that's who you're dealing yeah, with. Thank you for that huh? journey uh, behind the. The scene's journey of what happens when uh, the country club said gets upset and starts trash talking each other. I think that's that's pretty funny. You're welcome. And uh, listen, we will continue to have daily, if not, uh, weekly at least, 
sessions okay. on your pronunciation, Thank on your you. old South pronunciation. Right. Yes. Get you, get you into shape. I can't believe you. Nobody's worked with you before. Now. Yeah, it just so. hasn't come up before. But thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you are. Uh, so, all right. Let's uh, since we've gone forty some odd minutes now, let's go out. Uh, let's let's get out of here, and we'll get ah Mayor Stephen Reed will join us next, and uh, he is uh, he's good. You're gonna yes. want to listen to this since we've already recorded it. We know what he's gonna say, and it's really good stuff. Really? So, um, all right, let's slide out. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. David Person with Alabama Politics this week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture, and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends. And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are uh, happy again. Always, always happy to have on uh, the state's best mayor. Uh, we won't. I, I won't tell Randall. Well, nobody tell Randall Wolf and I said this. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell him who said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed joins us now. Thank you for spending some time with us. I know it's a busy day for you. Hey, it is, Josh. Thank you guys for having me. David, good to see you again. And uh, always, glad always. to be on with you. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I want, we wanted to bring you on really for two reasons. Um, uh, the over the the smaller reason, and this will sound funny to say, was uh, the, you have a Rosa Parks celebration going on this weekend, and we're going to kind of cover some of that. But the bigger reason was is over the last I don't know however long it's been since we've had you on. Uh, I've read you know a number of headlines and press releases that have been generated from the newspapers, TV stations, and and your office from down there, and um. I've noticed a pattern of, on one hand, a lot of people saying, oh, Montgomery's in awful shape. Look at this city. Everybody's moving out. What are we going to do? My God, it's terrible. And then we have all of these other headlines of this business opening up here, this business relocating here, this business expanding here. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, in in less than a year, so far, there have been there's been more than a billion dollars of economic investment uh, from companies coming into the Montgomery area, um, and I, I just wanted to to get you on and talk about the successes y'all have had and how you have been able to kind of overcome. I, honestly, I think a, a, a kind of unfair negative. I don't want to say stereotype, but negative coverage of the of the Montgomery city itself. Um, how, how have y'all been able to do this, and what all have you been able to do? Hey, thanks for the question. I I, I agree with uh, you know your perspective on it. You know what we have really been able to do been to really uh, focus on um, 
both major industrial projects, talent recruitment uh, and retention, as well as small business growth that I think has helped us uh, to the best year that this city and this region has had since Hyundai was announced well mm-hmm. over uh, 20 years ago. So when you consider the fact that we're, you know, we'll report about a billion three, and that's with mm-hmm. a couple of projects outstanding and they may not close now until January, February, um, you know, that's significant. And when you consider uh, the amount of jobs that uh, will be coming in due to that, um, it's one of those things that, you know, no one person does by themselves, but I think our philosophy to, to go big or go home yeah. has been, you know, one that we've abided by. And I think that we've been very aggressive in positioning this city and letting people know we're open for business. Uh, it's not just a good old boy city anymore. We want to work with uh, global entities at all levels, and we want to work with our existing entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them grow and scale as well. And I think that, you know, the messaging out of our administration has really been one that's been received very well in the, in the corporate space. And I think that's allowed for us to uh, win some projects that maybe some people didn't think we would and mm-hmm. to really uh, set a precedent in terms that we want to uh, surpass next year. In terms of what are the expectations? What are we capable of doing? And not just being content with you know, small projects that don't really pay very well, don't really make a big impact in the lives of people, but you know, give the mayor a nice headline to say, I'm not really interested in those type of things. I'm really interested in uh, the type of growth that's not only going to benefit the city, but to be quite honest, Josh, I mean, the, the city uh, is the bell cow of central Alabama. Mm-hmm. And our economy from Clinton to Atmore is the worst performing economy or has been the worst performing economy uh, of any region in this state. So I knew coming in that we had to do things a lot differently. And I knew that we had to be much more aggressive uh, in our approach to not just, again, uh, some of the projects that the city and the chamber and the county would typically go after, but also to change that up to go after different types of uh, projects that would bring in uh, higher paying wages, higher salaries, uh, and a different type of economic uh, partner than what we've had in the past. Yeah, you, you, one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to touch on uh, was the, the, you know, getting away from the good old boy kind of uh, system uh, that was in place. And I know one of the big pushes uh, that you've had in your administration, uh, you know, going back to, to Philip Ensler and some other people who were there, is, is being more inclusive, uh, yeah. more diverse, welcoming in people from you know a variety of different backgrounds and ethnicities and religions and um how has that helped or has it helped has it helped at all in 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 attracting some of these businesses oh absolutely uh, it, it has helped because i've heard it from them to know that montgomery is over for business uh mm-hmm. it has our visibility has been a big part of that our partnerships both with corporate as well as philanthropic organizations kind of helps your word of mouth in terms of the type of uh, government, the type of atmosphere that that you're going to have here. And I think our progressive approach, I know, was key to landing a major project because they told us what they were looking for. 
Their companies are looking not only at DEI, but they're looking at uh, SKG. And for uh, those who may not be as you know familiar with some of these um, uh, acronyms, you know they're, they're looking at you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, mm -hmm. These for a lot of companies are are core values because of the employee base that they have, and they have to make sure that you know they are going to sink you know hundreds of millions of dollars in a facility or in a project that they're going to be able to attract their current and uh, future employees to locate somewhere near where that may be. Uh, so the environment and the atmosphere is, is, is very key. And we still got work to do uh, here at the city. Uh, we don't have a non-disclosure, I'm sorry, non-discrimination um, ordinance here that I will continue to push even going into next year because I think that there are a couple of projects that we could have been in the running for had we um, had that. So, mm -hmm. you know, for us, those that are looking at, you know, um, you know sustainability and, and, and governance, uh, all of those things are very important to the type of projects that we want to come to Montgomery because those type of projects Again, they tend to be a force multiplier and they tend to change the narrative. When you get the big brands and you get the big investments and you surprise uh, the business community, uh, others start to take notice of what's happening in your community. And I think the messaging, I think the um, policies that we've introduced, and I think really the, um, the direct touches that we're having with companies that we may not have reached out to in the past has helped us and will continue to help us because companies are looking more at a diverse employee uh, base, a more diverse uh, workforce, and they want to make sure that they are where the Gen Zs and the millennials are because that's who they're targeting for future growth. And when it comes to Alabama, comes to Montgomery, we have to understand that there's a perception out there that we have to surpass. And there's a mindset and we have to not only get over the bar, we have to clear the bar. And if we do that, then it's our economic benefit that goes beyond the city limits because of the type of companies and the type of projects we're able to attract here. So, Mr. Mayor, I noticed um, that one of the achievements that your administrator your administration is touting is that Montgomery has been lauded by some national entities as the best city in the nation for black owned businesses can you talk a little bit about how how you think that came to be especially in light of the fact that um well, I mean, and you alluded to this in, in what you just said, there, there isn't quite the perception out there that Montgomery is the most progressive place. I mean, not that this is Montgomery's fault, but this is still... Part of it is. Well, okay. And, 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 I, think, and I, think that's a, I think that's a great point in, in terms of your, your, your answering. But let me just, let me finish what I was going to say, because I think I, this may tie in even to what you just said in, in terms of your answer. Uh, on the way into the city, if you're on 65 South, 
we all know that you still pass by at a certain point. Well, this is not on the way, exactly on the way into the city, but close to coming into the city. There's still a big old Confederate flag that flies on some private property, you know, that sort of signals to a lot of people that this is not necessarily a place or an area, a region where black businesses would be welcome. Yeah, and, and I think for us, I realize that. And so we do have to go over and beyond to let people know what we're doing. So we do have to shout it and repeat it and amen it all at the same time uh, to let people know the opportunity. Because when you don't do that, we're leaving you know, uh, billions of dollars on the table uh, in terms of economic impact. And I tell any group this, it can be um, the Rotary Club, it can be the Chamber of Commerce, it can be the National Urban League, doesn't matter. You know, money doesn't care who spends it. Uh, money doesn't care who invests it. But money knows money. And we want to be in a space where we're not just talking about, uh, you know, politics, prayer, and, and protest. But, you know, we're also talking about profitability. And that's where we have to go um, as a community. And those Southern cities that, you know, from the uh, mid sixties on that embrace that are the cities that look a lot different now than the cities in Alabama, uh, Dallas, Charlotte, Atlanta. Uh, a lot of those cities understood that money didn't know race of black and white, but money knows green. And money knows that it's green and wherever it can be placed and wherever it can be spent, that's, you know, who's going to uh, benefit, you know, from that. And of course, we've seen those economies grow over, you know, the decades. And I think for us, we're just starting to have that conversation probably under my leadership. And I think that's probably as much to do with my background academically and professionally. Uh, and maybe, it, maybe it's a generational thing, too, uh, that we are talking about it. And for us to, to be able to say that, you know, we've increased um, procurement opportunities with black businesses and women-owned businesses over 300% in less than uh, three years being in office, now we're at a three-year mark, um, that's significant. You know, that, that's, that's dollars right back in the economy. That's people who can hire uh, folks from their neighborhoods, from their circle, sphere of influence, in their small businesses. That's people who now have the ability to try to scale their business. And that's not at the expense of anyone who's doing business before. It brings more people to the table and it allows more people to have the opportunity to participate in this. And so often, you know, when you get into uh, the good old boy network or, or the homeboy mm -hmm. network, you know, you get into it being a zero sum game. And it, and it doesn't have to be that way. And again, those cities that understand that really leverage uh, both by understanding, you know, that, hey, we're bringing new people into the process. Those folks are going to add employees to the payroll. Um, that means we're getting more tax dollars back. That means they're going to be more profitable. They're going to maybe tap into a market that another, uh, you know, generational uh, business may not have. So. For us, we want to share that message about Montgomery. We want to really let people know we're not just a museum of a city. I've said that before. Uh, we're not just a government city uh, relying on, you know, state and federal government, but we know that we have to build this nexus 
of a private sector and a thriving economy uh, to really improve all of central Alabama and to really improve the lives of our residents that are here and those that we want to attract to uh, consider this city. So whether it's symbols like you have off I-65 with a Confederate flag or if it's other symbols uh, that we see once you're in the city, we want to juxtapose that, you know, with the Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, painted on, on the fountain where there used to be a, a, hmm. a slave block. You know, we want to juxtapose that by the names of high schools and streets. We're going to juxtapose that versus the uh, EJI Legacy Museum and Memorial for Peace and Justice and let people know about the progress that we're making here. And I think some of the change that they may not be expecting. And so when I'm advocating on behalf of the city, um, that's really what I try to talk about. I try to drill that in um, to whoever the audience may be and to let them know we're open for business and we want you to look at Montgomery for where we are right now, where we're going, as opposed to where we have been. Sure. You referenced EJI, and I always, when you're on, I think about, and I assume, and I'm going I'm to make an assumption here, and, if, and if, I'm, if my assumption is off base, correct me, but I'm going to assume that you as mayor have a particularly challenging, delicate balance to maintain when one of the biggest economic driving forces in Montgomery right now is an overtly progressive civil rights oriented nonprofit business in a city that is i think historically has been and continue um in all other aspects controlled influenced by entities that are not necessarily civil rights friendly and who don't necessarily even share a desire to see that message promulgated. So what do you do as mayor to keep the peace and to find that balance? It's a great question. You know, I rely on um, other mayors, specifically other black mayors, um, both current and those who are, are former, for advice and counsel. Uh, from Wellington Webb in Denver, who was the first black mayor of Denver, Colorado, and served uh, 16 years, um, has a great book out, memoir out, uh, that he wrote about his time in Denver, obviously majority white city, majority white state, very popular, and things that he had to confront to the current mayor there, Mike. Uh, Michael Hancock, uh, all the way to Steve Benjamin, the first black mayor of, of Columbia, South Carolina, um, and Shirley Franklin and Mark Morial, so many of those that kind of, you know, kind of guide in terms of what they were dealing with in their generations in those cities. And I kind of benchmark that along with, you know, current mayors of cities, even some who are still there first, Frank Scott and Little Rock and, and others. Um, to kind of say, you know, how do you, you know, y'all tell me if I'm off a little bit, right? And one of the things that, you know, whether it's the previous generation of, of Black mayors or the, or the current, is we try to find those areas around uh, unity that we can um, highlight. And those things around 
um, common goals and outcomes that we can really focus on. And, and I'll tell them that, hey, listen, there's going to be some things you're not going to agree with me on, all right? So join the club. You know, last I checked, I, I haven't seen anybody uh, candidate win political office with 100% of the vote. So that means there's always somebody who doesn't want you to be there or disagrees with your philosophy platform or your position, whatever it may be. So you go in, understand that. And, you know, without, you know, then tell them, I said, you know, I served seven years as probate judge. So anytime you go into a courtroom, you know that coming out, somebody's going to be happy with the decision you make and somebody is going to be uh, disappointed or just disagreeable about the decision that you made. So you're going to have 50%, you know, approval based on that case, right? So when it comes to the executive side, what I try to share with them is I'm not really looking for everybody to uh, agree with every decision that I make. What I hope you'll agree on is that I'm doing whatever decision I make, whether you agree or not, is for the right reason. And you can trust that I have done my homework, I've done my preparation in getting to, you know, that approach for why I'm doing X or Y. My degree may not, I understand it and, and I respect it. Even some of my most ardent supporters have texted me or inboxed me on social media about something that we've done that they did not agree with. So you're not gonna be able to please everybody with every decision, but we have to make the decisions collectively that we think are in the best interest of the community. And I'm very candid about, you know, my approach to the community is to grow it and to give more people uh, an opportunity to be a part of that growth and that progress. And if we can kind of rally around that, then maybe you can kind of get past some of the uh, social statements that I think we need to make, uh, some of the symbolic um, changes that I think we have to address and understand that all of these things impact the substance of what we're trying to impact. And I think for a lot of people, as I share more of, of why this is or what hasn't been, they tend to irreluctantly come around to understanding it, if not agreeing with it. And that's fine for me um, because ultimately, I know that I'm doing it for the reason to bring uh, a better Montgomery to everyone, as opposed to just, you know, relaxing on uh, the, the symbolic nature of, of my election or the expediency of politics and what not to take on. I mean, the first thing we did in the first year was to take on average taxes. Nobody does that. No one has done it around here. And I knew that going in. That was my number one agenda going in was we were going to pass that and, and get it on the, on the ballot. Why? Because I've been trying to do it since before I got elected to any office. I've been trying to get previous elected officials to do that since 2009. So, you know, I can't. And that was one of the reasons why I ran, because no one would do it, Democrat or Republican. So, you know, you come in saying, I know this isn't popular, but I know it is the right thing to do. And guess what? Not only is it the right thing to do, it's the best thing for us to do because it's going to improve opportunity. And I heard that from the leadership at Maxwell Air Force Base at the highest level. I heard it from corporate 
uh, projects that have contributed to this $1.3 billion that we have now. So people look at, you know, not just what you say, but they look at what you do. And when you're trying to grow uh, a city and a region in multiple ways, hey, all the, 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 the social media posts, all the speeches, all those things are great. But people do their homework and these entities fact find, they look at really what are you about and do, do your actions match your words and vice versa before they make a decision. And I think by doing that, we've been able to gain some level. I will say we're here uh, at, at a level that is perfect, but I think some level of consensus that even though politically or philosophically there may be some disagreement, there's no uh, disagreement that I'm doing things for the right reasons to grow this economy and that to get this city and this region to a better position overall and bringing more people into that progress so that we can all thrive uh, in the growth of you know, what we're doing uh, here in the city and its impact throughout central Alabama and the state at large. I know we're we're up against a, 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 you know, your deadline. You've got things you've got to go and do, and and but I did want to just quickly. Uh, we wanted to talk about the Rosa Parks uh, things that are, you know, my my favorite woman of all time. Uh, it is it, Rosa Parks. Uh, I've not been shy about that uh, in the past, and so I think everybody knows that by now. But um, and, and I wanted to say, y'all have lots. Of, we, we record this on Thursdays. Uh, December first is obviously the the anniversary of of uh, the whole arrest and the and the, the start of the bus boycott. Um, but y'all have expanded that kind of to go through the weekend, uh, give people an opportunity to come to town, and you know, I, honestly, I think things like that. Have have played a, a huge role um, in in helping Montgomery and helping people around the state better understand the history and be more open uh, uh, to to diversity and and things you know, to to celebrate the 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 people that have done great things that they don't necessarily know about and and I think y'all have done a really good job with that and uh, and and this goes through the weekend right. It does. You know, it starts today uh, with Rosa Parks Day, which is passed by the Alabama legislature uh, here. And it's recognition of, you know, not really just her act that she is known for, really of the, of the life that she led in terms of service and activism. And I think that mm-hmm. often gets overlooked. And, you know, typically when we think about holidays, we only think about men, Josh. So we don't <laughs> we haven't, you know, uh, really given a lot of holidays to women. Right. Uh, when you look throughout the history, that that's black or white uh, at, at all levels. So it's also a little bit of a of a uh, correction there to acknowledge those women that you know were really leading the movement at a time when mm-hmm. men were you know not quite as convinced that they needed mm-hmm. support. And so mm-hmm. you know um, Joanne Robinson, the Women's Political Council, and, and, and so many others who I think uh, deserve their own flowers, even posthumously in terms of what they contributed here. So, you know, today allows us to do that through a unity walk. And then there's a uh, service tonight at Rosa Parks Home Church, St. Paul AME. And uh, we're we're fortunate enough to have Brian Stevenson, uh, you know, speaking right here in in our uh, city uh, to uh, bring the keynote address there. And then we kind of go through the weekend with things from the Montgomery Improvement Association, 
Alabama State University, uh, which of course, you know, served kind of as the hub of, you know, so much of the, the information um, and so many of the, the, the leaders of the movement, along with uh, the churches getting active on Sunday through their services. Uh, there's also the Georgia Gilmore uh, food giveaway. Uh, Ms. Gilmore was very prominent in helping to coordinate uh, breakfast, lunch, and, and dinners for folks. Uh, and, and we failed to, you know, think about how all of this was done without social media. You know, how all yeah. of this was without modern technology. I mean, it is just a marvel to think about uh, this uh, act leading to this movement. And now we say kind of what's a moment and what's a movement. And it's just fantastic to, to think about that. And uh, then on Monday, we'll conclude with a uh, commemorative service of the mass meeting where Dr. King was chosen to lead the bus boycott. We'll do that at Holt Street and we'll bring in uh, a nationally known pastor and Reverend Dr. Kevin R. Johnson out of Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania to, to bring a message of not only reflection, uh, but renewal as well. So there are a number of things uh, that people can take part in. As I said to our Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, board yesterday, we can't just profit off of this legacy. We have to partner with mm -hmm. in the right spirit of this legacy. And so we want everybody to come out and those that can't come physically, we hope they'll be able to tune in to some of the live streams and they'll take part, you know, through their own social media platforms uh, to uplift this uh, legacy 67 years after as we move forward. And so it's so important, you know, to the city that the city be behind it, that city not only promote it, but partner with it and figure out how we can continue to uh, work in the spirit of those men, women, and children uh, who are part of this, Josh, because every day I think about it, you know, I, I wonder how long would I have lasted uh, over those 382 days? And mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have lasted as, as long before I would have been looking for somebody else to come take the baton. <laughs> take my place. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most amazing stories in all of history. I wish more people knew it and knew the knew the actual details of what happened and knew the actual details of Rosa Parks' life. Um, and uh, because there's so much more than a, you know a tired seamstress on a bus oh, and that nonsense. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just yeah. But y'all, listen, y'all have done a great job, and um, and I'm, I'm we're gonna let you get back to it. Uh, I know you're busy and you you've got things to do, and we we really appreciate you spending you know so much time with us today. And uh, you know, keep up. A good work down there. Hey, listen, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, I saw David yawning a little bit and I told him I was going to keep my answers short. So <laughs> I, I, I have to work. I have to work on my succinctness. You know, that, no. that's not necessarily a strength of mine. So, well, well, hey, listen, we, we had the problem is we had your dad on, you know, uh, oh, a few weeks back yeah. and, uh, you know, he, he brought the house down. So I, it's, I can't uh, you talk know, my I, old man now. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he brings the fire, man. He brings the fire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he's got stories and analogies yeah. and, and, and scripture and, and, and everything else. I, I, hey, but I do want to say, I, I, I do want to say, uh, Mr. Mayor, yeah. I really, every time you come on, I'm just more and more convinced that some kind of way, by the grace of God, we got to keep you in leadership in this state. Mm -hmm. We really need you. And I think we need you beyond the city of Montgomery, whatever that means. So no, I, appreciate I hope that's part of your thinking. 
No, listen, you know, I, I appreciate it. You know, I, I think for us, as, as they say in, in, in sports, you know, you take it one game at a time. Uh, and, and certainly in this job, you know, you, you take your eye off the ball a little bit and you start thinking too far down the road and, and, and you look up and you aren't taking care of home. But, it, you know, I think for us, you know, it, it is really about um, impacting not only the city, but but you know, changing the profile. I mean, a lot of what I do, I'll be, you know, straight with you, is uh, intentional in terms of trying to change the narrative around the city. And when I'm on panels and I'm anywhere in the country, you know, I talk about, you know, Montgomery is the only place that had, in Alabama, the only place that had racial issues, or still does. And I think the South kind of gets a bad rap for that because a lot of the media, even progressive media, tends to overlook their own things in their backyard and so what, what I try to talk about are the, the things that we're doing now and the things that even other communities can learn from us. And so there is a, a benefit to the platform that I hope uh, impacts beyond uh, the city limits in the state of, of, of Alabama by having someone like myself in, in this position. And look, I, I'm never one to, to say that um, I won't you know, consider something beyond where I am right now. I think that's up to the people to, one, hopefully, uh, you know, rehire me for this job come August 23. And then I think, you know, the other piece is to, to say, all right, you know, have you achieved, you know, a certain level of your goals and objectives um, that you told the people you would? And that's from education to public safety, economic opportunity and, and so forth. And then to consider, okay, where can you make the impact? And I think, you know, in particular in today's world, we sometimes conflate, uh, uh, you know, larger titles with larger impacts. It's not always the case. Uh, when you think of the federal government, not always been able to impact things in a way that maybe you can at a different level here. Even some of our state government, even though it's controlled by the Republican Party, you know, I, I don't know how many big ideas and big initiatives, you know, have been addressed. And somebody might say, well, Steve, how many were done in the Democratic Party? Uh, control and and that's a fair that's a fair question. So you know I look for ways to make an impact and I look for ways to really make a difference. And if that's somewhere at some point uh, that's a different space than where I am right now, you know I'm I'm certainly open to it and I'll let God kind of challenge uh, channel me in, in in that direction because hell if you had asked me Josh you know uh, when you were writing uh, sports here in Montgomery and uh, so many things are going on I would have never I would have told you I would never be here uh, in right. this office of all places. I would have never told you that. So, David, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate the uh, the encouragement, and it's something I don't take lightly when I hear it. Uh, even in the Turkey Day Parade, uh, God was, we had that candy. He said, man, we got to get you to run for governor. I said, well, I got to run for re-election first, so let's make sure we vote it out before we talk about the next one. So all those things uh, are important, but I really appreciate what you all do. Um, and look, I, I do have one thing I want to correct myself so I don't have to uh, um, post something under the podcast. I said SKG and I apologize. That That is ESG. I get my acronyms mixed up sometimes. Um, that's environmental, um, sustainable uh, governance that corporations look at. And I want to make sure I make that correction. So um, people, I said environmental, environmental social government. Those are the things that those companies were asking us about and continue to ask us about and how they measure um, the communities they want to partner with. So it's ESG before somebody uh, corrects me or inboxes me and says, 
See, there's somebody else talking too fast, and, and they'll know. Yeah. So forgive me for. Well, no, that's that's fine. Listen, I think uh, honestly that that's great. Uh, you know, I think the big news to come out of here is that uh, Stephen Reed's definitely running for governor in 2026, <laughs> uh, and so we'll go ahead and get the posters and t-shirts made now. And so let's uh, read in 26. There we go. Uh, hey, so, See what makes the dream work, baby. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Mayor Reed, we really do appreciate it. Thank you for spending the time with us. Hey, thank you all for having me. Uh, Sorry for for the the breadth of my comments, but I really enjoyed talking with y'all. And this this has been great. So let's do it again real soon. Sounds good. Absolutely, absolutely. Whenever you have the time, we're here. That's right. No more. All right. All right. Take care. That is uh, that is Mayor Stephen Reed, man. He is uh, uh he's great. Uh, yeah. And I mean, anybody that apologizes for giving you too much information, uh, you know, that's uh, we everybody loves to have uh, more info on things and what they've been able to accomplish in in the in the town there is really remarkable. So, yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's slide out. We'll come back wrap this thing up in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Back in a moment. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics this week. Um, oh, there was one thing. Uh, okay. we, we just before, I mean, I'll say, Ooh, like that, because just before we came on here, David and I were discussing about what we needed to say in the, in the final segment. Um, there was an email, um, and I'm going to tell, uh, Rachel, it's in an email and it was about, uh, charter schools and we will, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll devote, uh, a segment to that next podcast. Um, okay. and, and hopefully have, uh, maybe somebody on, uh, to, to, to discuss that with us. Uh, and maybe, you know what, maybe we can get Dick Brubaker back on. Um, Let's do it. Uh, Dick is a proponent of charter schools, uh, although he is not a proponent. He's on the charter school board, uh, and um, and although he, I think he has a, a very different stance than a lot of the pro charter school people. He's also pro public education in a lot of ways. Uh, he has uh, been the victim of Fox News brain rot of late, judging by his social media feeds, uh, which mm. is very disappointing uh, to me. Uh, but I have had some conversations with him of late. And maybe I can pull him back from the edge. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we could talk with him about what's going on in Dothan. She was specifically worried about what's taking place in Dothan with the public schools there and the, and the invasion of charter schools. And so maybe we can no, maybe we can do that. Um, another folk that we were we're gonna we're gonna talk to some. Uh, I'm I'm gonna try to do a podcast um, uh, this week. I think uh, with 
the folks that run Canabama, which is a the cannabis branded uh-huh. uh, groups down there. And I I wanted her to uh, Jennifer Boozer is her name. Mm-hmm. She runs a uh, runs a business a CBD business, and they're going to be into the also into the medical marijuana distribution. And um, and so I um, would like to get her on to talk to talk at some point about kind of what's what's going on. Uh, there and, yeah. and uh, relate her her whole. I listened to to an episode the other day. The, the entire podcast is just about taking things that people have said and actually explaining out the realities of of what's going on with medical marijuana. What's you know how how it works with CBD oils. What you should buy. What you shouldn't buy. Those sorts of things. She's very knowledgeable about the whole deal. Cool. And so I would love to love to get her on to, to talk about and answer some questions because I think we all have some. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, and you know, we'll just say, you know, we'll, we'll title the segment, Is This Weed Good? And hmm. you know, she can tell us if our weed is good. All right. So, um, all right. Wrapping up. Wrapping up. Oh, if you would like to uh, get your, uh, get, get have some questions or we could devote a segment to something uh, to explain or get some guests on and have recommendations for that, don't forget to email us at APW producer at gmail.com apwproducer at gmail.com uh, also you know go and rate and review and subscribe and do all that good stuff uh, that helps us out some ways I don't we'll see um, wrapping up yes. we have one story that we wanted to get to before we wrapped up and it is a story about the attorney general's office filing suit against the Alabama Ethics Commission uh, they have filed I wrote a story about this and we've written several stories about it and it's a confusing deal all right um, they, they've sued the ethics commission, uh, the AG has claiming that the ethics commission has a policy that, uh, well, they're not claiming the ethics commission does have this policy. They're claiming the policy is, is wrong and, and was improperly passed. But the, the policy is, is they do not have a duty to disclose exculpatory evidence to the people that they are investigating, exculpatory or impeachment evidence. Um, and the way this kind of came about was there was an investigation into somebody, and I can tell you it's Ernest Finley, who was the former police chief in Montgomery. And the AG's office believed that one of the people that were was given information about Finley was not credible and that the ethics commission should have known that this person was not credible and therefore should have disclosed that to Ernest Finley and his attorneys. And this thing should have never gotten to where it was. Um, the ethics commission, I, and, and listen, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, I'm at, and so let me tell you the rest of it. So, and, and then we can state where we are on this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the ethics commission's point on this is we are not the final resolution of these issues. We are essentially serving as a glorified grand jury here. We're going to take these information. We're going to take the uh, what the defendants in these thing in these cases say. We're going to take what the accused say. We're going to weigh the evidence. We're going to investigate some. We're going to take that evidence, weigh that evidence as well, and then we're going to make a determination as to whether something should occur with another agency. We're going to pass this on either to a county DA or to the AG's office for them to investigate criminal charges. Um, or we could also take it to our board and ask for administrative fines, which do not fall under the criminal categories. They fall under administrative fines. So they, they're saying that they are not the final uh, decision makers on uh, criminal cases and that the Brady rule, which requires the disclosure of exculpatory evidence, uh, only applies 
when you get to that point, when you get to where they're going to present these things for trial, because that's when the person has the right to this. They have the right to know all of the evidence that's been collected by the investigators and they're they're just the the investigators on the front end passing it along uh, to the other investigators who will go and work the case. So, all mm. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it 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 makes sense. I think you've you've explained the scenario well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I will tell you, this is probably the first time, and maybe the only time that I side with the attorney general. Yeah. I, I think the attorney general is exactly right on this. <clears throat> In fact, now I'm no lawyer, but my understanding of judicial processes is that um, any time, at any point along the way, mm-hmm. if any entity comes across what they believe is exculpatory evidence, Mm-hmm. They have an ethical obligation to reveal that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it is unethical, and it and it and it should be illegal if it's not illegal to take evidence that could that could vindicate an accused person. Yeah, and to bury that. There's something inherently wrong with that. So mm-hmm. I'm with the attorney general all the way on this, and I don't care who the you know who the body is, whether it's police, DA, yeah, or in this case, the ethics commission. Okay, could let me let me attempt to change your mind. Right. However, note that this is not my position on this. I'll tell you what my position is on this at, you know, when we get finished. But okay. here is um, what the ethics commission would argue. The ethics commission would argue that if putting in place a an overarching thing where they have to disclose exculpatory evidence to someone would present them with a situation in which they were forced to disclose information that would lead to um, these people who are under investigation being able to confront the person who has filed these these ethics claims against them um, as as things are taking place. Um, where where often what they are receiving are things from people that say, listen, I think so-and-so has possibly violated ethics laws by doing X. Uh, could you take a look at this? And here is the information that I'm giving you. All right. And what they the Ethics Commission has done in the past is promised to keep those people, uh, their their identity private. And if they make a determination at some point that these things do have credibility, that they do, that has done it, well, then they pass along the name of that person and everything else along to the AG's office or to a local DA, and that information will eventually be disclosed. However, what they're saying is, is it would chill this idea of anybody presenting uh, any, you know, whether or not these things are ethical or not, any evidence or turning people in, if they knew from the get-go that, their name were going, was going to be disclosed to the person under investigation and that that would cause such a harm to the overall ethics process. And according to the source that I spoke to there, that is the impetus behind Steve Marshall's 
goals in this is that he wants to shut off the ethics commission into looking into certain things specifically having to do with campaign finance. And so, uh, because as you recall, Steve Marshall had an issue with campaign finance in the past in which he took pack to pack transfer money and nearly got himself brought up on charges. Uh, mm. and it was of course the ethics commission that bailed him out of that and no court would take it on afterwards. But, <clears throat> that's what they claim. I think personally that there should be a rule in place that requires the disclosure of exculpatory evidence uh, without disclosing the entire file hmm. uh, and without disclosing the identity of the person who made a complaint. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to drop the charge, you know, if it's such a thing that would lead you to drop the charges or lessen the charges or whatever, I think that information should be passed along to, uh, to the person at the, at the center of the investigation. But I don't think that there should be just a blanket process there that says you've got to do this and open up the entire file, basically, to the person that's under investigation. I think that there should be some limits that are that are placed and uh, and with the understanding that even if the Ethics Commission does not meet every standard that they're supposed to meet, there's still this backstop back there of the AG's office or county DA's and the trial court that's going to catch this and, and it's going to have to be disclosed at some point. But I think that because the Ethics Commission carries such weight in these investigations, because when somebody says, oh, the Ethics Commission has referred so-and-so for uh, prosecution, everybody assumes that that person's guilty at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Everybody assumes it. So I think that's a lot of weight for them to carry uh, and not give some 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 greater weight to exculpatory evidence. I you know their their argument is, and I, I think it's a good argument is that you know we're essentially a glorified grand jury, and grand juries don't disclose information to to the person that's accused. Hell, they don't even let them come in and give their side of the story. And sometimes they don't even know that they're under investigation until we issue a public indictment hmm. on them. Uh, but I think the difference is is that when somebody, we, we're still of the mindset in this country that when somebody is indicted, they're not necessarily guilty. And, you know, even though it looks bad and it's a big headline, I still don't think it carries the weight as saying that somebody's been, you know, the, the Ethics Commission has found them guilty and that they're going to pass along these charges. That's just me. Yeah, you and I are on the same page. Um, I'm, I'm okay with, um, I'm okay with the, uh, the caveats you put out there. Yeah, <laughs> I think that the, my main concern is that <clears throat> I think far too often um, entities that purport to be in the business of, of finding justice on behalf of the people have abused that position mm-hmm. knowingly. Mm-hmm. They have had in their possession knowingly exculpatory mm-hmm. evidence and have for political reasons or ideological reasons or, or selfish, grossly selfish reasons have abused that, that privilege and that power. Yeah, no, I think you're right. hundred uh, percent. And we've seen it. Uh, I mean, how many civil rights cases have we seen this in, you know, where, uh, I mean, d- a death penalty uh, cases where somebody is a, a 
you know, exonerated off death row, uh, you know, and, and they've held on to evidence that would have exonerated these people. I mean, you know, there's a guy right now, uh, 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 Tafarst, is his name? Tafarst Johnson, uh, that is on death row in Alabama for, and, and mm-hmm. everybody knows, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the guy didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows he didn't do it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just absurd that we're, we're still doing this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I want them to disclose this. I just want them, there to be some, I also want there to be an ethics commission. I also want there to be a, mm-hmm. a means for people to say, I think, you know, this guy at the county commission is, is stealing the road money. And here's my evidence of this. Could you take a look at it? You know better than I. And, and I think that there should be that, that process there that should be protected. And that person that's turning them in shouldn't have their life ruined because they wanted to, you know, to be good stewards of, of public money. Right. And, you know, and I listen, I know that there's some vindictive behavior that takes place in a lot of these, you know, ethics charges and stuff and people getting back at other over political reasons and things. But I also think that there's a good number of people that just want to do the right thing. And mm-hmm. I think those people should be protected in some some way, shape or form. And and I just would you know it would be nice if the two people could just come together and say yeah listen we should probably you know, turn over exculpatory evidence from on this or that but also we're not going to turn over the whole damn file right. so you know and let's let's come up with a process that better fits this but you know instead we'll have we'll litigate the whole thing out so, yeah the alabama way mm. all right listen uh we, we you know we we switched this thing up so your right wing nut is at the beginning if you're looking for that uh and uh we don't have it here. So uh, go back to the front and find it. And, and here, all you get is us saying, uh, you know, until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Peace.